Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, I'm L.O.G. Nerlick. I'm John McEnroe. I'm Bjorn Borg. I'm Rosie. This is Martina Navratilova. This is Mark Forbes. I'm Andy Murray. You're listening to the Tennis Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Tennis Podcast, brought to you in association with The Telegraph and with Eurosport. My name is David Law, a commentator for BBC Radio 5 Live and BT Sport. We have a lot to talk to you about today. The news earlier today, in fact, that Andy Murray has had surgery on his right hip. We'll get to that in a minute. We're going to be hearing from Simon Briggs of The Telegraph, their tennis correspondent, joining us on the, the phone from uh, Sydney, where he's been covering Andy Murray over the last week and all the issues that he's been facing. We'll be speaking to Nigel Sears, one of the top WTA coaches who also happens to be Andy Murray's father-in-law. Spoke to him last week, so you'll hear from him. Somebody you won't be hearing from is Catherine Whitaker, I'm afraid, because she is not very well today. And uh, because she's got the lurgy, frankly, I don't want to get too close to her. I don't want to catch that thing. So um, she's resting up. You'll be able to hear from her once the Australian Open draw has been made. She'll be in Australia from about Thursday. She's getting on a plane on Wednesday. I'm going to do the same. And then we'll reconvene after the official draw and have a good chat then. So, before we get to Andy Murray, I'll just give you a bit of an update as to to what's been going on in the tennis world. Nick Kyrgios has won the title, his first title on Australian soil in Brisbane. He did a pretty good job of it as well. He got a win over Grigor Dimitrov, then he ended up playing against Ryan Harrison in the final. Harrison, uh, an American who's been around for ages, hasn't he now? And uh, he did excellent to get to the final his new coach is Michael Russell and that seems to be working well but Kyrgios way too much for him brushed him aside in straight sets and so you know Kyrgios goes into the Australian Open with a bit of confidence so whether that actually amounts to him doing anything there we'll wait and see but he was excellent in Brisbane Gail Monfils and Gilles Simon both won titles in the first week of the year as well Alina Svitolina got the Brisbane women's title although she had to come from four love down in two successive matches one against uh, Johanna Konta and then an, another one uh, in the next round against Karolina Pliskova before beating Alexandra Sasnovic in the final who I have to say was the story of the tournament for me Svitolina may have won it but Sasnovic she won seven matches just to get to the final came all the way through qualifying 
heck of a character really good fun uh, Alexandra Sasnovich and a good player too so keep your eyes open for her another player who is doing extremely well at the moment is Julia Gerges of Germany she has won I think 14 matches in a row now dating back to the end of last year and she's now opened her year with victory over Caroline Wozniacki in the final in Auckland and really comes into the Australian Open now as somebody we, we better start taking notice of um, and uh Nigel Sears runs us through all the players that we can expect to look out for and I mean the, the list is as long as your arm it's incredible just how many people he feels are in with a chance of doing some major damage this year in, in uh, Perth Switzerland won the Hopman Cup Roger Federer and Belinda Bencic joining forces to lift that trophy so well done to them they go off to uh, Australia uh, off to Melbourne now w- with some great confidence Bencic is another player who's on just a fantastic run at the moment and then uh, that bloke Federer well he always seems to play well doesn't he frankly so uh, I, don't, I, I mean he's going to be 60 isn't he uh, entering the Hopman Cup and preparing for Wimbledon in a few years time also should just add another huge thanks to everybody who's contributed to our Kickstarter campaign. We've got one more week still to go. We've had 430 of you pitching in, taking part, um, so that we can continue this show going for another year, the weekly show and the daily tennis podcast at the Grand Slam tournaments. That's going to be happening. As I say, one more week still to go. So if you want to be part of that group that helps us along our way, maybe enter the predictions competition, which is still open, um, you've got another week in which to do so. We'd like, we'd like to get to 500 backers if we possibly can. So that's another 70 over the next week. And we, we might just come up with a, a, a special extra if you do it. So uh, I'll give you details of that on our social media channels. So keep an eye out on those. Now, Andy Murray, I mentioned him. He's had surgery today in Melbourne in Melbourne and it came as a bit of a surprise to everybody he spent some time talking to some of the journalists over in Melbourne or who are over in Sydney actually at the moment many of them but they did a conference call today the news is that Murray had surgery to his right hip by a surgeon called John McDonnell somebody I think he's known for many years dealt with him post Australian Open on a number of occasions and obviously has huge respect and admiration for for what he's able to do in his field we're told that the surgery went very well and the intention is for Andy Murray to be back for the grass court season uh, starting at the Queen's Club Championships in June followed hopefully by Wimbledon that's that's what he wants to try to do who knows whether that will end up coming to fruition but that's certainly what Andy Murray would like to be able to do he also told the British reporters who were over there following his progress that he'd had a minor groin surgery just before Christmas nothing too significant that but another thing to add to the mix after the surgery what he said to our colleague Simon Briggs of The Telegraph and the various other assembled media members. There was Russell Fuller from the BBC, Stu Fraser from The Times, Mike Dixon from The Mail, Kevin Mitchell from The Guardian and Paul Newman from The Independence. Those are the journalists that he spoke to. And Andy Murray said, the reason for having this done was to enable me to get back competing. I'm not finished playing tennis yet. I'm going to be competing at the highest level again. So pretty bullish, this, from Andy Murray. He said, I'm very optimistic. The surgeon was very happy with how it went. He felt that my hip will be feeling better than it did a year ago. Obviously, I was doing fine a year ago, 
I was ranked number one in the world a year ago. I'm not going to be putting in the same amount of tournaments and effort to try to get to number one in the world again, he said. I'll be focusing more on trying to win major events and big tournaments rather than trying to achieve certain ranking goals. He described the process in as much as he said he, he was nervous this morning, but he knew it was the right decision. He said at Wimbledon everything was hurting, that he'd never had pain like it before. And it's, although it's got better in recent months, it's still extremely tiring mentally when you're feeling your hip from the first minute you wake up in the day and start walking to when you lie down at night. He says, I'm happy that I'm going to be out of that pain now and to get back playing. He says the advice he's been given is 12 to 14 weeks and that most likely around the grass court season he will be able to get back and playing the sport again. He says, I want to come back when I'm fit and ready to play, not to get into a situation like in Brisbane or in New York where I'm unsure when, when I turn up at a tournament how fit I'm going to be. Finally, he said, one of the things I would like to do is play until my eldest daughter is able to watch me and have a small understanding of what it is I've done for my living. That would be cool, he said, if she can come along and watch me hit some balls or to practice. I like seeing a lot of the other kids when they're on tour with their parents, and now I've had surgery, that's something I'm looking to in the future. Well, I think we can probably all agree that we wish him the very best of luck with that surgery and the rehabilitation and the recovery that will go with it. Um, My personal view is that it was absolutely the right thing to do to to get this done quickly. I think he did the right thing in many ways, rehabbing it. I know a lot of people would say, oh, you know, he, he could have saved himself a lot of trouble, but maybe he wouldn't have done. Maybe he maybe he would have been fine having the, the rehab. A- anybody can say this stuff in hindsight. All I would say is that, you know, he's he's got to the point where where he had no choice. He's had it done. And... It's notable, reading the accounts of some of the journalists that, uh, that have written about it today, that, that were in that conversation with him, how upbeat he was. And now that he's drawn a line and had this surgery done, you can tell that it's given him clarity of mind. He's no longer got that confusion about, am I doing the right thing? Should I, should I rehab it? Should I have surgery? He's taken the plunge. That's a huge decision for him. And I I suspect it will give him the best possible chance of recovery. And at least he's now upbeat and positively looking forward. So wish him all the very best. Now, I spoke to Simon Briggs yesterday, as I said, before we actually knew that he'd had the operation. But it was obviously pretty clear that Murray was going to have it. Simon had written a piece about how he thought... It, had, it would be well worth Murray persevering and trying to return regardless of the level. And I asked Simon to explain what he meant by that. Well, I mean, let's say to start with that it, it is a little bit out of his hands. You know, it's either going to be a success, in which case I have no doubt that uh, he will come back to tennis um, at some level. They're, they're probably not um, a, a Grand Slam winning level. Or it's not going to work out and he's probably going to have to finish um so the the choice in a sense we made for him he's made it pretty clear that he wants to come back at, uh, on any level that's what he said again in that interview in brisbane before we arrived he said if it's number 30 in the world i'd take that um i think if, it, if it's number 80 in the world he'd probably take it but uh, my feeling was that 
the example particularly of Leighton Hewitt, who, who played on late in his career and had some fantastic um, individual appearances uh, at the big events and who, who really managed to win over a lot of the sceptics with his kind of courage and his, his gumption, really, to, to just keep on training and, and competing and entertaining people. That is something that Andy could look at. If, if, he, if he's anywhere near uh, able to sustain you know, a, a presence on the court for, let's say, a, a reduced schedule, um, then that is something that I think he'd want to do, and I think it's something that, that would be worth doing. You know, the great thing about tennis is that you can look at it from two angles. One, you can say only one person who goes to a tournament ends up winning. Everyone else loses. Or you can say that 64 people in a 128 draw win uh, at some point. And if you've seen someone like Leighton Hewitt or someone like Andy Roddick play under the lights at the US Open or or here in in Melbourne, you know that that a a victory against a, a very solid player who they've drawn in the first round is no mean achievement and not to be sneezed at and something that the crowds will appreciate and the viewers at home will, will love too. I, I think that's a very interesting point and, and I actually, I'd agree with it and go a little further as to say I, I suspect that he in recent months has been in some sort of shock about what's happened because just a year ago he was the world number one and uh, yes it, mm, it didn't go happened so fast it didn't go that well in australia last year but there was no suggestion in the months that followed that he was in any way fighting for his career which it now feels like like he he probably is um and i we, catherine and i were talking about that the difficulty with coming to terms with a situation like that and i would sus- suspect that if he could make a, a meaningful comeback and and be able to ultimately decide himself uh, and go out on terms that he's comfortable with in two three however many more years it might be that would be worth doing for him that, that you know to ring out some more of his career because at, at the moment I just think it it must just feel uh, as as Richard Krychek once described retirement to me as like a black hole no matter how rich these guys are and and how um how well they've done i mean he's done it you know when you look at murray's achievements in the game i was walking around some corridors at a tv studio the other day and seeing pictures of him on the wall having won the olympic gold and you start to think two olympic golds two wimbledon titles us open title davis cup champion world number one yes there are things that others have done that he hasn't and he hasn't won the australian open and and he, i know how much he wanted to but that is an incredible CV and, and, and record of achievement, isn't it, when you when you line it all up like that. But at the same time, he he is not ready to stop. That uh, In his mind, he's not ready to stop. And as I say, it came on so fast um, to go from world number one and, and that moment in January 2017 when it looked like Novak and Andy were going to carve up the year between them to six months later being unable to play and, and then no clear road back to the court. And um, the shock has been uh, clearly something that has scrambled his brain and, and, and who can blame him for that? And, you know, the, the, the phrase fear of the unknown has been you know mentioned by someone who knows him well because these guys, they've spent their entire lives on the court since they were... Uh, knee high to a grasshopper, and, and it's just hard to compute the the, the mental challenge of, of reshaping your expectations 
Um, he's clearly put a lot of um, hope on, on this comeback in Brisbane for a long time. And, 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 and the, the Instagram post, we haven't mentioned that. It, it, for me, the, the most poignant line was the one where he says, every time I go to sleep or have a nap, I, I, I hope that I'll wake up and it'll be better. And um, I mean, that, that kind of really makes you, your heart bleed for him, doesn't it? Yeah. It does. You mentioned Novak there. Obviously, we had a rash and rush of people withdrawing, big names withdrawing from the Australian Open all at once. Kane Ishikori, then Andy Murray, then for different reasons, Serena Williams. Rafael Nadal and Novak Djokovic, I understand, are both now in Melbourne. I know you're not in Melbourne yet, but, but my understanding is that they are there. I've seen pictures of them, and I think Novak today posted a, a video of himself hitting there. They're going to play um, the Tybrek Tens events, the one-nighter uh, next week, and they've also got the Kuyong tournament, I think, which uh, one of them is playing. I think Novak Djokovic is playing, isn't he? Mm, um, that's right. What's, uh, what's the feeling? Because, I mean, you know... The th- the thing with Djokovic, we were talking about last week. Everything seemed to be going really well in his in his recovery, and then suddenly he's he's out of these tournaments um, with the, with this elbow problem flaring up again. Um, any any feeling yourself out there as to as to what we're going to end up with 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 those two? Um, not especially. I mean, only that the, the, the Novak post yesterday did sound extremely confident, didn't it? He even gave a bit of the Edemu. I don't know how you say that. Edemu. <laughs> Serbian Edemo. pronunciation <laughs> is, is not up to much. Uh, post from a guy who obviously had had that uh, unexpected setback uh, in the Middle East only a couple of weeks earlier. Um, and Rafa's bustling around the practice court. I've seen videos of him uh, in training. But they're trying to do something that not even Federer did last year. I mean, at least Federer came into Melbourne with the Hotman Cup behind him, didn't he? Um, yeah. So um, in Novak's case particularly, not to, have played, uh, um, not to have played a serious match since Wimbledon last year, um, even even a man of his extraordinary gifts is surely going to struggle to um, to go too deep in the Australian Open, you would have, have thought. And then for Nadal... <laughs> still can't get over that bizarre appearance at the A2 in November, which just seemed against all logic. And you just wonder what's going on in his head after he he clearly benefited uh, 12 months ago from the extended off-season that he'd taken. A guy whose his body needs to be um, you know, lined up with, with from a, a decent way out to get it ready for the big tournaments. And, and he's just headed off to London in, in the full knowledge that his knee wasn't right and then played a match. Um, was it, was it Goffin he played? Yeah. And um, it does seem completely bonkers and you wonder what, what, what was the subtext there? Uh, I, still, I, still don't, I still don't understand. I mean, it sounded like he was, he was uh, maybe uh, so determined to make up for the six previous times he'd withdrawn, was it five? five I think maybe it, was, maybe it was six this time, that he, the five previous times that he'd withdrawn from the, uh, the World Tour finals that he just was determined to get on the court but it looks even more baffling now than it did then. Yeah, that was a, that was a surprising one. The the other two British players have have had a couple of health scares of their own that are at the, the notable ones out there. Johanna Conta, mm. great great performance to 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 get a first set on the board against Svitolina, and then eventually hurt herself and and retired midway through the the third set. Kyle Edmund managed to get through his match uh, with Dimitrov. Really good performance from him as well. Um, but it was it was an alarming fall, wasn't it? I mean, he he 
and yet both of them the the kind of murmurs that that, that you're hearing is that that they might not be too badly impeded yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I think uh, Conta's going to play in Sydney probably um, tomorrow, um, and Carl will probably play in Auckland. And uh, I think it was very precautionary in Conta's case if she'd been um, involved, let's say, in a tournament in um, October after the end of the, the slam season, she probably would have gone on completed the match but she just didn't quite know what was going on with, with the with the hip and uh, she's had some physio some assessment and and I think it'll be okay um, and, and yeah both of them have played good tennis if it hadn't been for those um, interruptions um, but yeah I, I think it was Stuart who joked that uh, even the fans from Britain in, um, in Brisbane should have uh, watched out trip on their faces walking out of the, of the venue because it did seem like it was a bit of a jinx tournament for us. Yeah, the, the British journalists will be next, no doubt. Uh, but anyway, um, mentioned Serena Williams being out. Was that was that your expectation? I mean, I, th- I think it, it increasingly became apparent that uh, even though she'd played that, that one-nighter in or that one match in Abu Dhabi that she'd flown back to Florida and uh, and that it wasn't wasn't going to happen and uh, that she needed more time. Yeah, I mean, I've mentioned a couple of times in the paper the, the comparison with Kleisters in uh, 2009. Um, speaking to John Dolan, who, um, who worked with Kleisters before we went to work for the Lawn Tennis Association, he, you know, he said that she'd done nine months of pretty solid... Uh, gym training and uh, and I just think that four months was always pushing it. I think um, Simon Cambers, um, the reporter uh, for Reuters and other places, uh, has spoken to Murata Glue since the coach, and he says that there were some complications in the birth as well, which probably set her back. Um, and if you're Serena, do you want to go back unless you're feeling really confident? I mean, for one thing, do you want to to risk a meeting with Maria Sharapova and, and, and a smudge on your wonderful head-to-head record with her. Um, if, if you're coming back at all uh, undercooked, that's always a risk. Yeah, it's about, what is it, about 14 years since she lost to, to Maria Sharapova. Yeah, I don't, think, don't think she wants to give Maria a sort of uh, unexpected chance to wallop her at half fitness. <laughs> no. Um, just just a word quickly on Nick Kyrgios. Today, he, he won his first title in Australia. Uh, I know you weren't in Brisbane for that, but ha- what do you... Yeah, I watched s- it quite closely. <laughs> what, 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 I mean, you and I talk about him a lot. I mean, we're both... Mm. I think we're all fascinated by him, aren't we? He's just such an interesting character, and the potential is so limitless. And now, with with the absences, I mean, if you think there's really only Murray that's got that unblemished record against him, he's beaten everybody else. He knows he can beat everybody else, and yet there's still there's still a huge question mark over whether he's actually capable or or going to be able to deliver over the best of five at a slam i mean do you feel that this is a step that he has not taken before that is that is meaningful going into this tournament not really no uh, because of the strapping he had around his knee and, and and the clear concern that it was it was creating for him um the question is always can his body hold up um for for a fortnight um and it doesn't look to me like he's in ideal physical shape i think he was actually a little bit sore 
even though he was playing wonderful tennis. I mean, it was it was a joy to watch, uh, and it was at times it was totally irresistible. It was it was Federer-esque in the sense that he was he was he he used the saber. Not that you can call it a saber, I suppose, if it's a sneak attack by Nick. It doesn't quite scan as an acronym. Um, but he he was doing um, so using drop shots and 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 mixing up his game and and just completely uh, keeping his opponents off balance. In in the game against Harrison and then the match against uh, Dimitrov, it was. Um, it was absolutely compelling. So uh, great stuff to watch, but the same question uh, totally hasn't been answered about whether he's um, robust enough to come through seven five-set matches. And I'd be shocked if he'd managed that in Melbourne. Yeah, it's uh, it's still a big question mark, isn't it? And the, the, the one of the questions I, I, I asked uh, in a poll vault on a, at Tennis Podcast is is whether he would be having a better career right now in people's opinions with a coach in tow i mean obviously it depends who the coach is to to some degree but do you feel that he is just somebody that may well end up going his whole career without a kind of recognizable coach i mean he's he's working i think with todd reed he's got obviously Leighton hewitt pretty close by as well what's your view I think it's Matt Reed, is it? The um, sorry, Matt Reed. The, that's correct. Yeah, the, the Australian doubles player. Um, yeah, I mean, I think Matt Reed is sort of his his companion and, and support network, and and probably is a is coach. Really, that's what he what he what he sort of half called him jokingly on the court after he won the title. Um, but at the same time, it's almost more important that he has uh, a a conditioning expert that he believes in because God knows he he can play every shot. I mean. At one point yesterday, when he, when, he, when he didn't move his feet at all to a Harrison serve and, and belted it back for a forehand winner at over 100 miles an hour, I think it was, um, with a sort of expression on his face like, um, uh, I'm almost bored of, of, of how good I am. <laughs> and it, was, it was just ridiculous. Um, he was he was being too cool for school as usual, but at the same time, he, he hit a winner and... and and he was just lording it over Harrison, who he's had a little bit of a niggle with in the past. So he was kind of showing off the full bag of tricks, and it is quite—it's quite mind-blowing what he, he can do with tennis racket. So it's more just that question of, of um, conditioning, and he still doesn't seem to be in that place where you would back him. Uh, to go long enough. That's why I think that the, 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 the fitness trainer, the, the, the physio, those, those kind of people are almost more important to him. Yeah. So what will the next week hold for you, Simon? Will you stay in Sydney for a few days? Will you go to, to Melbourne uh, at, a, at a point that you already know about? What, what, what are your plans? Well, I think I want to be in Melbourne definitely for Wednesday night with the, the tiebreak 10s um, with um, Rafa Nadal and Novak Djokovic. Possibly on Tuesday as well. For um, I think Novak's going to play at Kuyong. And um, today is uh, off to the cricket. So off to the cricket. Yeah, like a little bit of variety. That sounds, that sounds lovely. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, excellent. And we've also twisted your arm to take part in the tennis podcast predictions challenge this year, Simon. You're a you're a late mm-hmm. entrant. I'm delighted to say. How, how much are you looking forward to that? <laughs> 
you know my record on these things is less than impressive you, you I, I, I of all the people that i've spoken to including rosie the dog you were the least uh, enthusiastic there's no question about it but you've, yeah. you, you've got to do it now so that's good okay <laughs> excellent well, well simon I'll... lovely to talk to you as always on the show we'll be having you on i hope over the course of the fortnight um travel well enjoy your cricket today and uh, and we'll speak to you soon all right thanks a lot so there's Simon Briggs, who is telling me that Sydney was well over 40 degrees Celsius yesterday, which, uh, frankly, is a bit too hot for my uh, pasty white skin. But anyway, um, I'll try not to complain too much because uh, it's probably irritating the heck out of you. It would be. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello, Tennis Podcast listeners. David here. Now, you might know that I love a bit of cooking. And I think I'm quite good at it. But if I'm honest, even I get fed up trying to work out what to do every night. That's where Home Chef comes in. Being able to put together a delicious meal without the long prep and the cook times, well, that's pretty cool. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify your cooking experience. They have over 30 options a week and serve a variety of dietary needs, so you don't have to worry about what to make ahead of time. Not only is it convenient, but it's economical too. Home Chef customers save an average of $86 per month on groceries. Now, for a limited time, Home Chef is offering tennis podcast listeners 18 free meals plus free dessert for life and, of course, free shipping on your very first box. Go to homechef.com slash tennis. That's homechef.com slash tennis for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. You heard it right. Hey. Anyway, I also spoke, as I mentioned at the start of the show, to Nigel Sears, who is the father-in-law of Andy Murray. Nigel had counted an astonishing 26 names that he felt could be competing for big titles this year. Well, if you thought last year was an open year, you wait for this one, because I was looking at it ahead of speaking to you now, and I think we have to consider 26 players that could make an impression this year I, I look at 13 of those almost dead ringers to have a great year and I can go through them with you in a minute but 13 others are very possibly going to have a great year so in many ways that firstly you know proves that we're going to have a very exciting time on the tour and secondly it, it's just so wide open I, I mean anything could happen again those names, if if we go through, I mean, uh, we were talking beforehand. I think you you view them as as in groups, don't you? Of uh, and and 
there are some certainties that that you think are going to be part of the conversation. Are they pretty much the ones from last year? Well, I mean, I think we can divide it in terms of game style uh, to a degree. I mean, you've got your counterpunches. Now, that's not to undermine when I refer to them as counterpunches that these are defensive players. They're not at all. But in terms of their physical stature and the way they play the game, they're wonderful movers. They read the game superbly well, and they're great tacticians. And those players I'm talking about are players like Wozniacki, Hallett, Svitolina, Kerber, who I think we'll see an awful lot stronger than last year. What's that? I just feel that she's so much better as a player than she was uh, the player that we saw last year. She was playing with a burden on her shoulders. She was hackled by the responsibility that she felt internally that she had to kind of reproduce the year that she had the year before. It's virtually impossible to reproduce that straight off the bat. And uh, I mean, it's a phenomenal year she'd had. And I think we saw a shadow of her real self, and I expect her to be an awful lot stronger. Severstova, I mean, she's now emerging at the top end of the field, and she's definitely a very crafty, very talented counterpuncher. Severstova, that, that's an interesting one, because she won her first two matches in Brisbane, barely losing games. And you actually think she could be part of the, the conversation at the, the very top end? Oh, she's been shooting up the rankings for a while, but, I mean, she's a, a very gifted player, and she's starting to package her game an awful lot better. Our own Joe Conta, I mean, I know she wobbled at the back end of last year, but she's got off to a good start this year already, comes through two tough matches, two three-set matches in which she's been tested. And, and I think that she's come through... In How big a deal is that, do you think, to her? Because it was pretty alarming, wasn't it, the way she fell away late last year, yet she was so good earlier in the year. I don't think we can underestimate how important this start has been for Joe. A lot of people will say, well, it's just the first tournament. It's not the case at all. She was in free fall at the end of last year, having had a great year for most of the time. And she desperately needed to reassert herself at the top end of the tour. And I think she's already had a good start to the season. New coach, incidentally, Michael Joyce. What, what, do you, what do you know about him? Michael's got an awful lot of experience. He, he, of course, worked previously with Maria Sharapova. He was a good player himself. He knows the game inside out. He, he's quite a steely character. I, I mean, I think he'll get involved uh, perhaps a little more in terms of real coaching on the court when he goes on. I don't think he'll always look to... to positively reinforced. I think he's capable of using constructive criticism in, in a, a very good way that I think Joe needs at times. Well, are there obvious things, do you feel, that would take Conta from where she is now to a higher level? Oh, absolutely. I mean, despite the quality of her serve, her backhand, particularly the cross-court backhand, and she go down the line too, but the forehand is a much improved shot, but at times it, it does wobble. We've seen it earlier this week too. She's ballooned a few out the back. And at times she just needs that little bit of tweaking, technical tweaking, just minor things, just staying down a bit longer, attacking, using the racket head speed, keeping the swing nice and simple. She just needs that, that little bit of extra push on on things and i think he can deliver that as well as giving her the positive reinforcement and encouragement that she craves so she's a good news story in terms of her start what about uh, some of the other players i mean you, you mentioned some of the counter punches there's some big hitters out there too well, aren't well interesting enough i think joe straddles those two groups because she's she's capable of hitting a big ball but she's also capable of trading very aggressively and very steadily so 
Joe Conter, I'd say, kind of does a bit of both, and, and that's uh, interesting the way she plays. But in terms of the strike as well, how can you count out a Serena Williams who is dealing with a, new, a newborn baby? And uh, if she can manage that and put everything together, you can never count her out. And I did watch the exhibition that she played. Uh, in Abu Dhabi very recently against Ostapenko and I thought she was timing the ball beautifully uh, then considering she hasn't played at all I mean no surprise really I mean you can never count her out and if she has the will and the capability to organize her life around the baby and and, uh, still have the same desires and everything else then I mean she's certainly going to be one to, to be reckoned with Maria Sharapova, she's back. Uh, like it or not, she's back, and we got to factor her in the equation. How big a factor do you think she can be this year? I don't think she's a threat to Serena at Serena's best, put it that way. I'm not sure she she's going to beat Muguruza at her best either, or Pliskova at her best. And those are two other players that are in the striking category, and I, I'm expecting big things from again this year. You've got Coco Vanderway. Uh, coming along who is improving all the time working with Pat Cash I think that's a great fit and she has a heavyweight game and I think uh, I'd expect to see her have a pretty good year and then of course let's not forget Caroline Garcia I mean uh, she was magnificent at the end of last year and she's so gifted wonderful physique she's a player that seems to have it all and it was really coming to fruition nicely at the back end of last year disappointing this week to see her pull out with a lower back injury I hope that's not too serious started started the third set and she pulled out Mm. but uh, hopefully that's she's just being a little cautious ahead of the Australian Open so those really the players that I've mentioned so far I'm sort of writing down and saying they're bankers for a good year uh, or being given health and fitness Venus Williams well she's going to be 38 this year and I mean you can't count her out either so you've got to put her in consideration and I think we've got equally 13 players that you've got to consider she's certainly one of them what about Agnieszka Radvanska I see her having a better year than last year but can I see her getting back to the top five in the world where she spent most of her time in her career I'm not sure about that. There's not room for everybody, is there? Because there's so many you're mentioning here. And I I just, I think that, I think we might have seen the best of her. Sadly, she's one of my favourite players. I love the way she plays. And she's had a wonderful career already. I'm not writing her off, and I expect to see her do better, but I'm just not sure whether she's going to make top five again. Dominika Sibylkova, well, she went off the boil a little bit, had some injury problems, but... You can't write her off. I mean, she could well come back with vengeance this year. Um, We're looking at what's going to happen with Azarenka. Is she going to be able to play? We don't know, but she's bound to make an impression if she does. Sloane Stephens, magnificent form in the summer, won the US Open, her first slam. But then didn't win another match, I don't think, for the rest of the year. So just, I don't know what happened there, but we've seen that before from Sloan when she made the semifinals of the Australian Open. Found it difficult to deal with that success. Fell off a cliff almost after that. Well, let's hope that doesn't happen to her. Let's hope she can, she can play well. So you're factoring her in. The finalists there, Madison Keys massive game I mean she is just a wonderful ball striker and you, you have to say she's in the mix I've got a, a couple of question marks Mladenovic Pavlyuchenkova Gerges 
What about Benchit? She's coming back from a back injury. You've got to put her in the equation. I've got a headache. Well, she's won a couple of $125,000 tournaments back end of last year. And what a, what a player she is. What a talent she is. And then let's not forget the young guns. You've got Ashley Barty. You've got uh, uh, Yelena Ostapenko. You've got Daria Kazakina. I mean, three great players who've actually had a dreadful start to this year. They all lost first round this week. So those three youngsters, but they are going to factor. So we have so much to look forward to, and it says something about the depth in the women's game. So who's going to win the Australian Open, then? Don't ask me. (laughs) It's not easy, is it? On the men's side, the... It feels almost for the first year that, that, that there's, a, there's a similar feeling in terms of the unknown because the players that have been dominating, yes, Roger Federer is still seems to be fit, but I mean, let's be honest, he's in his late 30s now. There's a lot of, a lot of ill health out there and there's, uh, there's a lot of unknowns. Well, there is. And it's a, I mean, it's these wonderful players that we've seen for a long time leading the men's game are all struggling with uh, fitness. I mean, it's so sad to see Andy at the moment struggling with his hip when he just wants to play so badly. He's got this burning desire to get back. He's doing everything he possibly can. But it's tough, isn't it? It's just been hard, and I feel for him. And, and of course, Rafa's got his knee issues, uh, and you've got uh, Novak with his elbow. And then next, Roger Federer is fit as a fiddle, moving better than ever. I couldn't believe how well he was moving at the O2 when I watched him. And it's just, just wonderful to see. So opportunities for other players, people like Dimitrov and Zverev, of course, we'll, we'll look forward to all of that. I, I've been following as much as the tennis over the last month, Nigel. I've been following the exploits of your son, <laughs> Scott Sears, who, who uh, the Antarctic... Gurkha is is what he he built himself as. I mean, he was raising money for the Gurkhas, and and he became the youngest man ever to reach the South Pole solo, unassisted, and unsupported. I mean, it, it's I, having read his blog, it was a staggering thing to 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 to, to follow the progress of him. He he reached the South Pole on Christmas Day, twelve days ahead of schedule, I believe, but. What was it like to be his dad from afar while that was going on? <laughs> well, hats off to Scotty. But, I mean, I think when your son comes to you and, and says, Dad, I'm going to trek to the <laughs> the South Pole in the sort of conditions that, that he was going to face, I mean, it was very hard to embrace it immediately. I mean, it scared the life out of us. Uh, it really did. Um, but now I've, I've sort of watched it unfold and... He's safely back home and he's achieved what he wanted to achieve. I'm just in awe of what he's done and uh, nothing but admiration for him. And I think it's been a fabulous cause and just an incredible experience. Has he always been like that, wanting to do stuff like that? An absolute lunatic. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, he, he certainly went one stage further this time. And I, just, I really wasn't sure about it and I'm just very glad that he's come back in one piece. Yeah, great to have him back in one piece and uh, and a fantastic tennis season to look forward to, Nigel. Lovely to talk to you. So there's Nigel Sears. I should also mention that uh, that he also thought thought of a 27th and uh, maybe even a 28th in as much as uh, he feels Petra Kvitova can be a huge factor over the next um, year and also maybe Svetlana Kuznetsova, who's reached the WTI finals a couple of years ago and got to the semis. So um, he he did want to stress that, uh, that he hadn't 
missed them out deliberately, just forgotten them. I mean, it's hardly surprising with that many players, is it? So that brings this particular tennis podcast to a close. Catherine sends her apologies. She would love to have been here, but uh, she couldn't on this occasion. We thank you for your support and also for listening, of course, to the tennis podcast. We are brought to you in association with The Telegraph, with Eurosport, by Triple S, our Kickstarter executive producer, and Melanie Bowes, who's also an executive producer and our champion of the Tennis Podcast Predictions Challenge. And, of course, a shout-out to Charlie the Ferret, our official mascot. We will be back very soon from the Australian Open in Melbourne. We will be there after the draw, bringing you our preview. Can't wait. Speak to you then. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 